mental health, parenting, losing your hair. These are all aspects of cancer treatment that we don't always talk enough about. I'm Nikki Reitmeyer, and this is why. Megan Coley. I'm an online national reporter for the lifestyle team here at Global News. Hi, I'm Arthi Patel. I'm the national online supervising editor for lifestyle at Global News. Megan and Arti are working on a series for Global News that explores various aspects of the human experience with cancer treatment. They shared with me the stories of people whom they met along the way. Serena was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when she was just 23 years old. So she had been having symptoms she didn't really know were lymphoma symptoms. But one day they, they just got so bad she went to the emergency room and after a flurry of x-rays and tests, they found a tumor behind her sternum that was crushing her lungs and making it difficult to breathe. So it was really sort of, it all happened at once for her. She went from walking into the emergency room one day to a three-week hospital stay. She was given a biopsy, emergency surgery, and then thrown into her first round of chemo and radiation. Um, and it was pretty it was pretty overwhelming for her. I mean, she was only 23 years old, so she kept saying to doctors things like, when can I go home? What should I tell my boss at work? You know, it's a brand new job. Um, so she was really overwhelmed and sort of didn't really grasp what was going on until about a week into her hospital stay where it started to hit her. And she said she just started crying and she felt really alone and isolated and sort of just in shock about what had just happened to her. Well, I can imagine. I mean, getting a cancer diagnosis at any age would be difficult. But at 23 years old, you're not mentally prepared for that to be something that you're going to go through. Absolutely. And I think a big problem that Serena found was that in her treatment, nobody ever really stopped to ask her how she was doing in a non-physical way. So, you know, all it was all hands on deck trying to beat this cancer as quickly and as um, efficiently as possible. But it was it wasn't really until she spoke up to say hey you know i'm feeling sad i'm feeling isolated i'm feeling overwhelmed that then she was assigned a psychologist through the hospital where she start she had a place then to sort of share how she was feeling mentally but until then it was kind of just like okay now you're a cancer patient you know here's what we do to treat cancer but it wasn't really here's what we do to treat cancer and also your mental health while we're going through this Has there been more of a shift in that regard recently to focusing not so much exclusively on the physical, but also on a person's mental health? There definitely has been a shift, I think, emblematic of the larger societal shift to talking more about mental health. It's less taboo. People are more likely to reach out and ask for help. But one thing I heard from experts in the industry was that it's still it's still a massive struggle. And a lot of doctors and oncologists and those people on the front lines, they struggle to see past the physical cancer as being the only threat. When in reality, your mental health and mental illness um, that can happen sort of in tandem with cancer can be equally as life-threatening. So while there has been some improvements made, 
um, there's still a long way to go, I think, in terms of making it so that right when you get that cancer diagnosis from the first moment you discover you have cancer, you have someone, you know, a mental health professional assigned to you every step of the way, helping you cope with that in a, from a mental, emotional perspective. Did Serena mention to you how she's doing now, how physically she's doing now, but also how her mental health is today? So her mental health is definitely better, but she um, has discovered over her treatment and after her treatment that to get the care she needs for her mental health specifically, she needs to advocate for herself. Um, and she's been able to do this by speaking up and asking for help and, you know, constantly talking about how she feels mentally and emotionally about her situation. But she has mentioned that it it's really difficult, especially if you don't necessarily know the language to use, if you don't know how to describe that you're feeling depressed or if you're feeling angry, um, that that can be really, really tough to, to move past. So for, for now, for her, the, you know, her cancer journey was a huge learning curve for her in terms of advocating for her own mental health, but it still is something she deals with on a day-to-day basis. So what about the mental health of caretakers, people who have loved ones who are seeking cancer treatment? My name is Rosalia. I have a father who has been diagnosed with glioblastoma, a methylated GBM, and this is my story. My dad is an incredible person. He's done so much in his life, very active, everywhere from being a semi-professional cyclist to an avid outdoorsman, always active in the community, especially the Italian community and always out there to give a lending hand to whoever needs it. He'll give the shirt off his back if you need it. So how shocking was it for you and for your whole family and for your father when he received his first cancer diagnosis? It was, it was strange. What we suspected it was was a minor stroke because he does have higher cholesterol than normal, but he, he had a clean bill of health. So I thought, oh, you know, you got a minor stroke because those symptoms of glioblastoma are very similar to a minor stroke. And when we went to the hospital, I forced him to go to the hospital. um, And we found out within three hours that, in fact, it was a large tumor. Within seven days of his initial diagnosis, He did undergo brain surgery, and they successfully removed this cancer. So it was successfully uh, removed. However, this glioblastoma has tentacles and does regenerate eventually. So we knew that, and we took every precaution with BC cancer. You know, he went through radiation, chemotherapy, did everything. And up until the end of August, everything was looking great. His MRIs were coming back clear. And... Two and a half weeks ago, we had another MRI and it showed that another tumor has started to grow. And getting hit with that is another blow. I know this is a difficult cancer to treat, but it is, you know, it plays with you because you go, well, what next? And when you do ask what next, unfortunately, They say there's nothing more we can do, and they hand you a sheet on palliative care. 
I kept it together in front of him because I did not didn't want to show him that you know I thought this was really bad <laughs> at the time because for him at the you know when he got told he was in shock I was in shock but it's not until you actually go home and leave the hospital where everything starts to set in and mentally yeah it's hard to tell you know I had to tell my mother I had to call my sister I had to start telling other people in my life and work that hey you know this is what's happening and once you start telling people it it starts to sink in even more it's not just something you read or get told it's something that you're actually living so that mental capability of yourself you got to be aware of what's going on because you can go stir crazy did you find that talking to other people about what you were experiencing and what you were feeling was helping you cope better? Yes. I do have a friend who is about 38 years old with the exact same cancer, and I actually turned to him to talk to about what to expect and how everything is, and I get someone else's opinion that's actually going through it and understanding on my side of things what I can do to help my father out. So finding a support network has been really critical for you in regards to taking care of your own mental health as you go through this. Yes, absolutely. I have a really good group of people around me that check in with me or if they, you know, I'm quite active myself. And if they don't see me somewhere, they're like, are you okay? (laughs) You know, um, uh, is everything okay? Is there anything I can do to help? I've gotten so many messages. I'm very fortunate that I do have a good group of people around me. And that actually is a huge thing. If someone is going through this and you don't have that, you know, family to support you or friends, really there are groups out there that can help you. And I suggest that anybody that needs it, you need to talk because you can't do it alone. You know, there's that saying, keep it together. But sometimes, you know, it's okay not to keep it together. It's okay to cry. I have a great partner who helps me out. Um, He's been really great. When I kind of have my moments where I unfortunately unleash on him a little bit, he realizes, you know, it's, it's not an argument thing for him to come back with. It's, okay, let's talk about what's going on. And that's very valuable. You know, I'm dealing with my mother, my sister as well, and, you know, my sister doesn't live here, so giving her information and keeping her involved and my mom... This is her life partner, and for her, it's uh, really scary. So for myself, I'm trying to navigate through all these personalities and then including my own, (laughs) going, you know, trying to understand fully how I can actually cope myself through exercise, talking, you know, doing things that I love to do, um, but being okay with doing nothing as well. Do you have one sort of final piece of advice for anyone who is listening to this, who can relate in some degree to what you're going through as far as taking care of their mental health goes? It's, if you're like me, you like to say yes to everyone and help everyone and do as much as you can. And just for your own mental well-being, it's okay to say no to things that you probably would have said yes to before. And there's nothing wrong with that. And also taking moments for yourself through, I mean, for some people, it might be meditation. For myself, it's through exercise and being around positive people because you really, really need that. And that self-care 
adage is really needed in times like these. Coming up later in this episode. You know, one thing that really struck me when I was speaking to her is even though she was diagnosed with cancer, the only thing that she was thinking about was her own child. We'll hear the story of an Ontario woman who was pregnant when she received her cancer diagnosis. You're listening to This Is Why, a national radio show and podcast from Global News. Download and subscribe online now. Fiona Kingsley Boyer, she's 32 years old. She's from Scarborough, Ontario. Um, A few years ago, she was pregnant with her second child. When she was six months pregnant, she started to notice that her legs were bruising and she was really itchy. So, you know, just like any sort of expecting parent, she went online, she searched up her symptoms, and she read at one point that this was a normal symptom of being pregnant. So she didn't think much about it. One day she was seeing her doctor um, just for a regular checkup, and he had noticed um, a lump on her neck. So this is when Fiona first started to really freak out a little bit. She had a little bit of internal panic. She went online again to see what this lump could mean. And her doctor sent her to the ER that weekend right away to get an x-ray. You know, she waited a few days and doctors told her that she did have cancer. She was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And because she was pregnant, her first question was, okay, well, what happens to my child? What happens to this baby? And is the baby okay? You know, one thing that really struck me when I was speaking to her is even though she was diagnosed with cancer, the only thing that she was thinking about was her own child. So because of her diagnosis, she was induced a month early and she had to start chemotherapy two weeks after giving birth. She actually wasn't allowed to be around her newborn in those first few weeks. And as a parent, that's one of the hardest things, I think, for anyone specifically. But if you're already going through such a traumatic experience in your own life and suddenly, you know, you get birth and you can't even be around your child, that's one of the biggest things all these parents talked to me about was the fact that they could not be around their children. Jeez, that's incredible. You know, her story, it's so sad, the thought that this this parent couldn't be with their child and the, the fear of being diagnosed while you're pregnant, I can't even imagine. However, it's not uncommon that a parent gets diagnosed with cancer. How do parents go about having that conversation with their children when they find out this diagnosis? So I think one of the things that, you know, we, when we talk about cancer as a diagnosis, of course, that's a hurdle on its own. You know, it's a lot of medical appointments, it's bills, it's talking to your family and sort of coping through that. It's also a lot of pressure on yourself and your mental health. But I think when children are involved, there are so many added layers because A, a lot of parents don't know how to talk to their children about cancer. Some of them don't even tell their children at all. Fiona specifically waited to see what her cancer would look like because if she had to shave her head, for example, that's when her daughter, her older daughter, would ask her questions like, why is this happening? You know, what is happening? So I think the first thing is a lot of parents don't know if they should even talk to their children um, specifically about cancer. But the experts that I talk to, you know, it's really up to the parents themselves. But one thing they really need to be open with, I think, is if their child does start asking questions, you should be able to answer them. You know, you really don't have to go into the details of what your cancer 
cancer is and what it means. And um, I think cancer is such a scary word for everybody and people like to sort of put a timeline around it. I think it's less about that, but more focused around, you know, your parents are still here for you. Your parents still love you and we're still here to support you. One of my experts talked about cancer specifically with some young children. They sometimes think that the diagnosis is their fault. So if something bad is happening to their parent, you know, sometimes in their head, they'll think, oh, well, maybe did I do something to cause this cancer? So I think communication is really, really key. And as, as hard as it is, it's, it's important to be honest, to tell your kids, you know, what's happening and what this means for your family. We know what this means for your structure. This could mean maybe less, you know, time outdoors or maybe more time inside or maybe more times with your relatives because the parent with cancer can't spend that much time with them. And I think it was interesting what you brought up as well, the idea that, you know, mom or dad might have to shave their head because of the cancer diagnosis and the treatment that they're going through. They might lose their hair. For kids who may have a hard time fully grasping the biology of what's going on, that is a very obvious visual indication that something's changing with their parents. And I think it's hard. I think it's hard for parents to sort of almost put on a face in front of their children. And I think a lot of these parents struggled with that. It was really hard for them to, you know, internally go through their own diagnosis. And then physically, they're also going through changes. So for example, yes, a lot of them did have to shave their heads. Others were, you know, strapped up to tubes in the hospital beds. So it visually, it's a really scary time, I think, for children to see their parents like that. One of the things that Fiona talked about, specifically about um, cutting your hair, you know, she brought her daughter along with her into the process. They looked um, at photos and she explained like, you know, mommy's very sick. She's going to get better. And one of the things she told me was I wanted to make it clear to her that I was going to get better because I think as scared as your child is, it's, it's a little bit of a reinsurance from the parent, I think, to let them know exactly, to have more positive outlook, um, even something on like a cancer diagnosis. And I think this part of the conversation really relates back to what we were speaking about previously, and that is mental health and how you process these emotions and process what you're going through. Did parents ever speak about feeling something unexpected, like perhaps, you know, even guilt that they were diagnosed? Yes. So for a lot of parents, uh, there was a sense of guilt. I think for them, it was the guilt of not being around their children. So a lot of them had extra hospital visits, chemotherapy, extended bed rest. You know, I talked to one woman who had a diagnosis where she had to isolate herself from everybody in her family. She couldn't even be around her children. You know, there are parents who have to spend or even send their child away to another relative for a, long, a period of time because they can't be around their child. So I think that sense of guilt definitely hit its parents. But one of the important things experts talked about uh, specifically around guilt is your family needs to sort of set new routines and new expectations. So, you know, for example, maybe you can't go play outside because of your chemotherapy. It's, you know, weakening your immune system and you can't go outside or, or to the park or on vacation. But maybe in turn, you know, we turn that as to game nights or something indoors or something more, you know, less physical activity that the parent can still take part in. So usually in this case, you know, unless you're a single parent, there is another partner or support family member or someone in the picture as well. It's really important for them to also be part of these conversations because if you're feeling guilty about parenting specifically, there should be ways to accommodate around that. Now, this conversation has been just a sample of what Megan and Artie have done in their series. For more, check out globalnews.ca. 
This Is Why is produced by John O'Dowd and myself, Nikki Reitmeyer, with special thanks this week to Rosa for sharing her story with us. It's a national radio show as well as a podcast, so you can download, subscribe, or listen to This Is Why on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. Give us a rating and a review. Plus, if you'd like, you can send us an email. This is why at CuriousCast.ca. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. 